0: We're going to continue for however many weeks the Holy Spirit inspires us on relationships because relationships are the foundation of everything about being Christian, about knowing God, because God's all about relationship and he's all about people. So today, um, as we talk about relationships, it's interesting to me, how many have ever said, you know, I just wish I could live on a desert island all by myself. The only problem in my life is people. Just me. Okay. (laughs) Does anybody recognize this guy? Give me the first thing. It's not a great picture. Do you recognize that guy? I don't know his his stage name in the movie, but that's Tom Hanks. And he was on an airplane, and he ended up on this deserted island. He was all by himself and kind of figured out how to survive for however long he was there, but he struggled a lot. He found out that being all by yourself isn't what it's all cut out to be, and to the point where this guy was an executive with either FedEx or UPS, you know, some great big company, and he was lonely. Give me the second picture. So lonely that he made a friend. Does anybody remember this guy's name? Wilson. Wilson. Everybody saw the movie. When I was praying about what am I going to talk about, Lord, I kept hearing Wilson in my head. I'm thinking, that's a good relationship story. Here's a guy who is intelligent. He's educated. He's accomplished. He's successful. And he made a pal. His best pal was a soccer ball or a volleyball or something. Give me the next picture. Just a shot of uh, Wilson and his pal hanging out on the beach together, having a conversation. You can see kind of probably a deep discussion. He's looking into Wilson's eye place there on the other side. And then this last one, it was just on the Internet with the rest of the castaway pictures. I don't know, I don't know what the meaning of it was, why somebody put it up there, but it's interesting to our discussion that... Tom Hanks, or maybe that's John the Baptist, I'm not positive, but I think it's Tom Hanks, without any pal, without any relationship at all, can't survive. Even so little relationship as a volleyball with red stuff smeared on one side of it was enough to help him to survive through the time before he ultimately got rescued. Let me the next picture. That, let me just see, is there a bunch of kids in here? I want to embarrass Annika in front of her friends. This is Annika's bed. And all those things you see are Annika's stuffed animal friends. And I'm telling you, sometimes I think she loves those guys more. than They never correct her. You know, she never got a spanking from Pinky. Pinky's the big one against the wall there. But she has serious, I don't know what to call it. I almost said perceived relationship. But they bring her comfort. But they're nothing. I mean, they're just fabric and stuffing you know, little button eyes and the nose. There's literally, they don't, they don't possess anything at all that can do anything for her. But relationship is so important, right? She's in a new home, only been with us for a little over a year. At nighttime, when she's alone, she gets comfort because she has a relationship with Pinky and, I don't know the rest of their names, but with stuffed animals. How much more important that we have right relationships? Isn't it sad, and this is an Annika's situation, at least I sure hope it's not. Isn't it sad that somebody would, would have such poor relations with human beings that they would make their best pal a stuffed animal. It's messed up. It's not God's work, it's the work of the devil. Okay, so the definition, or a definition of relationship is the way in which two or more people regard and behave toward each other. In that context, relationship has rules. There are absolutely rules to relationship. If you're a parent and you have a you know 18, 19-year-old child and they want to stay in your house and have relationship with you, there's rules. And, and if they follow the rules, they can stay. And if they break the rules, they can't. There's rules between husbands and wives. We have laws that govern the rules of relationship between people in our culture and our society. Relationship isn't something that comes just for free. It, it comes based upon our willingness to submit ourselves to the rules associated with relationship. And relationship is such a powerful thing um, we used to we used to spend time up at Whaley, which is a children's home, in uh, up in Flint. We I always thought if someone was an orphan, it was because you know maybe both of their parents got killed in a car wreck or something. But I bet ninety some percent or more of the orphans you know classified in our society are children that have been taken away from bad homes. And they would tell me the stories of when the social worker would go into a home where a kid is just horribly, horribly abused. And the kid would scream and kick and fight and cry and beg not to be pulled away because it's the only relationship they know. They don't even know what good relationship is. So they're hanging on to bad because it's all they know. It's so powerful. It can be so powerful to the good and it can be so powerful to the bad. But it has rules. And we have to follow the rules if we want to have a good relationship. Okay. Today, here's your walk away today, is to understand that God loves you and God wants to have relationship with you. He designed you for the purpose of relationship, but his relationship has rules. We're going to learn about God's expectations of us. We're going to learn about how we would express, in this case, love towards God, so that we might properly relate to him, okay? There's, maybe there's a hundred things, I don't know, but I think if we were to follow these kind of four things in relationship with God, if we were to check ourselves to these four things, that we will have outstanding relationship with God. I'm not going to talk so much about God's role in relationship because he doesn't ever fail. If relationship is ever broken between us and God, it's never because God messed up. It's, it's always only because we messed up and that we're suffering the consequence of disobedience, for example. So give me the first one, Chris. These are the things that our relationship should reflect towards God. Fear. Now, not fear because God wants to hurt you. There's a fear that's expressed in reverence. You see it all through the Old Testament. If you've never word-searched fear of God, fear of the Lord, and seen all the scriptures that will come up, you should do it. And you should read them. Read them in context, you know, a few before and a few after, so you really understand what the Bible's trying to teach you. But there's a fear of God that is an, an appropriate part of our relationship with God. And it expresses itself not as this kind of fear, but as a reverence, as, as a reverence towards His holiness, an understanding, a recognition, and a reflection back to Him of how good He is. Okay, number two <coughs> humility. Humility could rightly be expressed, and, and we're going to do probably a whole Sunday on humility in the, in the context of relationships, as worship and surrender. And worship and surrender, as it relates to our humility towards God, is almost the same thing. It doesn't talk a whole lot. You won't find the word worship a bunch in the New Testament. You find it in the Old Testament more, and it always, it always denotes a position of um, prostate prostate, on your face, in the presence of God, you'll see in the Bible where just the holiness that's associated with angels that have been in, in the presence of God, when the angel shows up in front of the man, oh, thank you so much, um, thanks, when, when the angel shows up in front of the man, he wants to worship the angel, and what he's really seeing is, is not God and the angel, but he's experiencing the holiness that, that got on that angel from being in the presence of God, and, and the response is depressed. Prostrate. I said prostate, didn't I? I tried so hard to get it right. They shouldn't make words that like that. They shouldn't do that. Somebody write a letter to Webster for me and say, listen, you're messing him up. He's saying stupid things. Prostrate. On your face. Humble yourself. Oh my gosh. It's, it's, a, it's a posture of surrender. It's understanding that, wow. you know, if, if God, Jesus, were to manifest himself in such a way like... You know, that we would die. Like Moses maybe saw him on the mountain. It wasn't hard for Moses to be surrendered to God because he had that that tangible experience with God's glory. Why we don't all get it, I don't know, but it's the right way to do it because it's the way God does it. Um, The next one, and and they all overlap each other so much faith, trust, and willingness to receive his love. I promise you that there's a spirit trying to get Justin and Carla separated from God right now. Uh, Justin's mom separated from God right now, and he's trying to use the fact that, that her dad, her husband, is gone from her. And he, and he can't rationalize why that's a good thing. And, and I don't even know, maybe it's not a good thing, but God is always good. His nature is love. It's, it's perfect. When we have those thoughts, we have to make them stand obedient to Jesus. What is that? Second Corinthians 10, I think where every thought has to be taken captive. Any thought that says, God, you're not really that good because my husband's not with me anymore has to be captured and cast down and replaced with, God, you are good. And I don't have the capacity to understand. But you are always good, and I praise your name. I was praying so hard that Justin and Carla would be able to come to church today. I I can't imagine how busy they are. But this is the time, when you lose your dad, this is the time you stand in the very front and you raise your hands and you say, praise you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Because if there was no hope for Dwayne Hastings to be in heaven, just think what the grief would be like. John knows, remember, John? When your dad passed away, all your comfort came from knowing that your dad was in heaven, right? Okay. And the last one is the one we're going to talk about. All I had to do is hold the water. My throat feels better. I don't even know that I need to open it. Is love. We should love God. As part of the the active choice we make to have relationship with God, it should be it should show love. Now the key today is to understand what that means biblically, biblically to God. Because we have a um however Good, our understanding of love as the Bible teaches it's still through a filter of culture and and love in our culture is not necessarily love the way the Bible teaches it it has elements of that but it's not necessarily the truth of the Bible so if somebody doesn't feel this amazingly powerful heart, you know, kind of oh I love you so much God I'm going to blow up if I don't see your face if we don't experience that we think we don't love God but that's not how God asks us to demonstrate love. And that's what we're going to talk about first, okay? Okay, uh, first scripture, John chapter 14, verse 15. This is Jesus talking. He's, he's, he's telling his disciples about all this abiding and loving. and uh, It's just good stuff. Four, 13, 14, 15, excellent chapters. We're going to get to them in about a week. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, here's how you express love towards me. Here's how you live. Reflect that back to me in obedience. Uh, 1421. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. See, God has such a sense of humor. I'm sorry, I'm going on a dory trip, but holding the water made my throat feel better. I didn't need to drink it, but I drank some, and now I have to hiccup. (laughs) <laughs> I should have just put the water down. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Oh, God, I want to love you so much. Okay, here's how you do it. Just do these things. Keep my commandments, and that's the way I'm going to receive love from you. You don't have to have emotion. You don't have to have feeling. You don't have to have any of that. Likelihood, you will, but that's not the foundation that God is telling us is how we love him. Next one, John fourteen twenty three. Tell me when you start to see a pattern here. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And then in 1 John 5, verse 3. And this, one, this is one that I got revelation on just for this message today. For, the love, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. All he's read that is the love of God is like the love of God that, that is coming to me. But it's actually the love of God. It's like the love for God. Matter of fact, the NIV translates differently. Instead of love of, it reads love for God. So if you read it that way, you'd say, for this is the love for God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So all through John, all through 1 John, John is kind of the the love apostle. He, he, He is where we really see God's heart for love, and he's the one that teaches us how to love God. He's setting us straight here so we understand that... All this stuff that we know from culture, all this stuff that we've learned from the world, all this perverted love that we could find on the internet or on television, that's not how you love God. If you ultimately want to say, God, I love you, you obey his commands. Okay? Does that seem clear? There's more. I could have gotten more, but I knew that we'd be a long time in worship, which is a good thing. All right, so now, God's number one command to us, and it's, it's stated in multiple Gospels, is this. I, I picked the Matthew 22 version. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. And then he says, The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In Luke it reads, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then it goes on and continues to say, And the second is that you love your neighbor as yourself. What is so cool about God is we're commanded to love him. He says, the way that you love me is obey my commandments. And then he says, here's how. The doing of the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, is the how of the first commandment. I'll show it to you. John 13, 34, Jesus says, this is in the context of all this, if you love me, you'll obey me. Same big course of scripture he says a new commandment i give you that you love one another even as i have loved you that you also love one another he says if you love me you'll obey me here's what you do love each other john 15:12 this is my commandment that you love one another just as i have loved you john 15:17 this i command you that you love one another romans 13:8 not exactly the same this is paul writing He says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. Which is actually everything to anyone is to love one another. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. If you continue to read in 13, he gives examples of you shall not murder, and you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not, I don't know, all the laws. And he says, all of them don't matter if you do this one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, when he says all of them, he's talking about the first one as well. Love the Lord your God with everything that you got. You satisfy the first by doing the second. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. God's expectation of our obedience is really, in essence, a further expression of his love. So he says, if you love me, you'll obey me. If we have a right understanding of God, it's not that he's an egomaniac that requires your absolute obedience to have any kind of pleasure in heaven. He only ever does what's good for us. He only ever wills what's good for us. We don't understand it all the time, right? He says in, I I want to say it's Isaiah, but I could be wrong. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are oh, I think that's a proverb. my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. His ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. He hasn't given us the capacity to understand his thoughts in their entirety or to, to understand his ways in their entirety. So by faith, remember that third bullet I had faith trust is we ex- express our relationship towards God. we have to say, okay, I understand that there is joy in trial, because you know more than I do. And if we set our minds to believe that only ever is His will for us good, then we can see it, even if we don't understand it. The essence of Him expecting us to obey His commands is an expression of His love. One of the songs we sang today had this scripture in it, Romans eight twenty eight, And it says, And we know that God causes all things to work together, For good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So if we look up here at the scripture, from what Jesus taught us in John and in 1 John and some of the other scriptures we see in the epistles, you could almost take those who love God, take the two words love God out, and you could replace them with obey God. Right? You could say, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who obey God, to those who are called according to his purpose. In the Old Testament, you'll read that he, he says to Israel, I place before you blessing and curse. Blessing if you obey these commands that I give you and curse if you don't. All through the Old Testament, you see this relationship of Israel with their God. They obey him. They don't serve other gods. They don't worship other gods. And he blesses them he gives them cities and homes to live in that they didn't build he gives them plant or farms to harvest from that they didn't plant but then they get complacent and they wander and they start to serve other gods and in the service of other gods he removes the grace the grace doesn't come in disobedience it would be <coughs> excuse me counterproductive to his love if he were to bless us in disobedience because it would cause us to think that a bad path was a good path. So if you think in those terms, what actually happens to those who love God is they reap the blessing of loving God, because inobedience is blessing. If you don't return evil for evil, if somebody comes to you and they say, you're the worst so-and-so, such-and-such I ever met, and you say, oh, yeah? Well, you're... What happens? It gets worse. It, It escalates. But the Bible teaches don't return evil for evil. Consider other people more important than yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are the commands that God wants us to follow as we express love towards him. If somebody comes to you and smacks you on the right cheek and you off from the left, you might get a shot on the left, but that thing's going to stop because there's no energy in love. Energy towards evil in love. You follow me? So as we love God, as we obey God, it puts us in the place of grace that... All things can be for good because we're in grace, because we love God. And in our expression of love for God, we obey him. Does that make sense to you? Then conversely, every act of disobedience is an opportunity for calamity. Spiritually, there's sowing and reaping. Naturally, there's sowing and reaping. You can't plant corn and harvest wheat. You can't plant carrots and harvest potatoes. If you plant carrots, you're going to harvest carrots. If you do a bad job of taking care of your carrots, you might not harvest anything. But you're not going to harvest different than what you plant. If you sow, if you plant good, you will harvest good. You'll reap good. It's just the way it is. So any act of disobedience, if you understand that God's blessing is in obedience, any act of disobedience is an opportunity for calamity. Because there's one who is called the accuser of the brethren. (laughs) I'm glad you got it because I might have actually had to dance Um, the accuser of the brethren is Satan he prowls around, I I got a scripture here 1 Peter 5, 8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour he gets to to devour when we allow him to devour we open doors to calamity when we walk in disobedience to God I'm trying to think of a good example. Probably would have been better to think of it before I got up here. It's Michigan in February, right? Last week aside, if you open the door to your house, cold gets inside. And now your warm house is cold inside. If you keep the door shut, right? You say, God says, hey, I want you to have a warm house. Here's how you do it. Turn on the furnace and keep the doors closed. You say, okay. You walk in obedience, furnace comes, warm air, stay nice and comfortable. Open the doors, cold air comes in. Now your warm house is cold. It's a bad example, but it, it, I think you can wrap your brain around the picture. The, in that picture, the devourer is the cold air outside that's now in your house. The way you get that air out of your house is you close the door, let the furnace do its work. That's the Holy Spirit, that's God. When we confess our sins, that's why he says we should confess our sins one to another. We should confess when we speak we cause things to change. We recognize what we did wrong. We can now your your sins are are paid for. Every sin is paid for, but there's still consequence, eternally paid for. Consequence in relationship with God, in grace or not grace. So when you when you close the door, you're like, Lord, I'm sorry, man, that I should have never done that. Forgive me. I close the door, you step from outside of grace to inside of grace. And a blessing can come. Okay, well, I'm not going to read to you all of chapter 2 of, or 5 of 2 Corinthians. I just wanted to close with this. It's a, it's a, little, it's a little off, but it's, it's so important to understanding relationship with God. Let me just review what we did. Our number one relationship has got to be with the Lord. Number one. Maybe somebody can have a good relationship, husband with a wife or a wife with a husband or a dad with his children, Outside of God's grace, but I'm not sure how you do that. I I know in my personal experience, you can have okay moments, but you can't have really strong relationship outside of God's grace. The first relationship that has to be okay for the rest of the relationships to be okay is our relationship with the Lord, right? It's important. We have to know Him. We have to seek to know Him. If we seek to know Him then he'll reveal himself to us. As he reveals himself to us, that, that emotion love... See, I, a matter of fact, I told Teresa I was, was going to share this with you. you hear, I'm, I'm up here almost every Sunday, and I'm teaching you. But I'm teaching you through my lens, right? I try as hard as I can to not teach you through my lens. But one of the things that I personally need to get delivered from is I have... Um, what the heck is it called? Teresa could tell you in a second. Um, performance. I have a performance orientation problem. That, that goodness comes from performing. That if I perform a good sermon, you'll think I'm all right. If I perform a crummy sermon, you won't think I'm all right. That's not how we are with God. He sees us in Jesus as beautiful and perfect. There is no performance to gain God's love. You couldn't perform good enough to get more, and you can't perform bad enough to get less. But I struggle with that. Right? I mean, maybe that's why I was a salesman. I had measurements. I could measure exactly. I'm a good boy because I made my quota, or I'm a bad boy because I didn't. So when you hear from me, you're going to hear a lot about obedience, because that's just the way I measure myself. But that's not exactly the very you know, if there's a pendulum, God wants that pendulum right in the center. That's perfect. But it's pulled over to the side a little bit with me as, as Holy Spirit is working me through these things. And I'm going to get closer to the center. And there's, there's other people that are going to tell you, oh, you know, God loves you so much and he doesn't care what you do because his love is so perfect. Well, that pendulum's way over here someplace. Center is right. Not compromise, center. Because that's absolute truth, okay? All right, so, when you hear from me, understand that I'm, I wrestle with performance orientation and, and it's going to come out in the way that I teach. Because... I ain't all the way delivered yet. All right. I'm getting better, though. I really am. I don't have nearly the challenges I used to have with that. But it's part of me that's not all the way gone. And, and you should know it because you want to hear center, and I might not always present center. Okay. God loves us. The way we express our love to him is through obedience. Find me some place in the Bible where you love God different. As we obey him, as we seek relation with him, relationship with him, he will expose himself to us. He's a rewarder of those that seek him. As you get exposure to who God is, revelation, as you gain revelation to who God is, and its he's not cheap, you have to really, he says, the scripture says that it's the, to the glory of God to hide a matter and the glory of a king to search it out. Something like that. He, he wants us to dig. Why? Because it's good for us. But as you get to know him, it becomes so much easier to love out of that heart place versus out of the mental place that says, I understand what it says, and I just need to do it, and I'm loving God, and that's absolutely true. But you want to get to the place where it's effortless, and effortless comes from knowing him better. Okay, well, that's the gist of today. Let me read to you Second Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 21. God has given us this ministry, he calls it reconciliation. To reconcile is to reconcile is to restore friendly relations. Think of this in terms of excuse me. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> you with the Lord, right? He sent Jesus. His mission was to reconcile us to the Father, really, to give us the opportunity to be reconciled to the Father. Think of it inside your family, your first, next, closest relationship, your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, and then every other relationship. In perfect relationship comes all kinds of good stuff. Reconciliation, that's our ministry. Draw people to each other in friendly relations. Make to coexist in harmony to be compatible so that we compare. We're a body. We're we're attached. Christ is our head. A disjointed body is a messed up body. Okay, for the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Remember, I keep telling us that you know all of us were dead people. This is it. We're dead people. We died to ourselves. We no longer live for ourselves, but for him, Jesus, who died and rose again on our behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Remember this morning when I said to you, you're awesome. I don't care what you did bad. I don't care. You, you're wonderful. You're wonderful. There might be some yuck on the outside, but you're wonderful. He's he's telling us that. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Doesn't mean it's okay that you yelled at your kids if you shouldn't have, or you know, you waved at somebody wrong from your car. It doesn't. But you gotta start to see yourself as who you are in this new creature in this new creature that, that God's created, that, that this other stuff is coming off. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then this is the part that just wrecks me. When we talk about humility, you've got to think about God, perfect in every way, in heaven, perfect in every way, on the throne, being worshipped by all the angels, the seraphim and the cherubim, and just in heaven. God, the creator of everything that is. This is what happened to Jesus, God. He, God the Father, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin. On our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. If you ever wondered what the definition of humility looks like, He who knew no sin became sin. Why? Because the Father did it. Why? Because He loves us. Why? So that we could be reconciled to Him. Why? So that we could then have the ministry of reconciliation. Why? So that we could be reconciled to each other, so that we can walk in peace. That we can walk in love, that we can walk in the glory of God, and ultimately, ultimately, at the end of time, will be a new heaven and a new earth, a new Jerusalem, streets of gold, crystal, pearls, everything bigger than life. Perfect. This is the process of getting from here to there. We have to have good relationships, relationships have to matter to us. We have to understand that they have rules, and we have to abide the rules, first with God, then with each other. We'll talk about the other, right? You already have a hint. Love your neighbor as yourself. Treat others the way you want them to treat you. I promise you, you can't have a bad relationship if you do those things. It certainly can't be your fault, that's for sure. Okay? All right, let's pray. Father, I just pray that you sow this truth so deep into our hearts, so deep into our person, so deep into our being, that if we have to, we'll do it just out of obedience, just because the power of your Holy Spirit gives us what we need to walk in obedience. But I pray for so much more. I pray that that our love can be such a heart love, so much a love that looks like your love for us, Lord. You don't have to obey your character to pour out your love to us. It is your character. That's the transformation that we require, Lord, that we would be people that we're like Teflon to offense, that when an offense comes, there's just no place for it, that we can't be offended and in our inability to be offended, that we would reflect love, that we would never return evil for evil, that we would consider everyone more important than ourselves. Always, 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 God, we get what we need when we give what somebody else needs. I thank you that your way is so perfect that there's no flaw to your way. And I just pray that the, the power and the conviction, and conviction, I'm not talking like beat you up conviction, church. I'm talking the, the, the knowing, that's conviction. It's awareness. It's, it's recognition of anything that's outside of how you'd have us to be in relationship with each other and, with, and in relationship with you, that you'd stir us so that we'll just get right back to that place. I pray blessing over all these people, Lord. I pray blessing over all of us that we will just be transformed by the renewing of our minds that those fortresses are coming down. I just declare them down in Jesus' name. I don't care if it's a little brick or a big brick, Lord, but they all come down in the mighty name of Jesus Christ.